the video, the message I'm going to give is available on video, and the videos are me speaking. The graphics, like you see, come up on the screen, come up on the TV screen as you watch it. Uh, I'll discuss anger a little bit in this message, and there's a message, there's actually several messages on anger, and um, then this is the message I'm giving in the morning service on pride, the hidden sin that feeds other sins. A speaker was scheduled to speak at a large seminar in the Dallas area. He sent a questionnaire ahead of him to give to hundreds of young homeschoolers who would be in attendance. The youth were then asked, are you happy with your home life or do you wish you could change some things about it? And the youth were then asked to write down three things that if changed would make them happy at home. And I'll share their answers with you later in this message. I'm dealing with a real problem this morning. Many Christian youth are leaving their home team, walking away from God and their parents. Some are despairing of life itself. In fact, I was asked to give this message originally to the Denver State Homeschool Convention because there were young people that were taking their own lives and from good Christian homeschool families and Others are succumbing to the pressure of the culture, becoming confused about their own identity. A common thread that runs through these and other problems like them is something their parents may have done that was wrong or something they failed to do which they should have done and that's created resentment and bitterness in their children's hearts and sadly many parents don't even know the problem is there until their children have actually left home. The average, we've heard that, I don't know whether you've heard the statistics or not, but 70 to 80 percent of young people in churches are walking away from God and church. And I want to zero in on why that is happening and give you several steps to help youth not give up hope on God or life. Uh, I will not have time to give this entire message. Every once in a while you'll see the slides just fly by. Uh, it's for the sake of time. In Psalm 78, 5 and 6, God is speaking to four generations. Our fathers, their children, children which should be born, and their children. And verse 7 says that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So God is emphasizing to us that each new generation of children needs a fresh vision of the greatness of God in order to find hope in God. How important is hope anyway? In the absence of hope, youth may forget what God has done for them according to that verse and then break God's commandments. In the absence of hope, according to Psalm 42, 11, the soul will be cast down and the countenance will display defeat. According to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, if we don't have hope, we may think that God is a liar. According to Acts 24.15, young people may not even believe in a future resurrection without hope, which Paul said would make us all most miserable. According to 1 Thessalonians 1.3, when we have hope, then we can have patience. In the presence of hope, praise to God will increase more and more. And Romans 15.13 teaches that God wants us to abound in hope, and with that hope will come joy and peace. 1 Peter 1.3 teaches that God doesn't want us to just have hope. He wants us to have a lively, exciting hope. 
So, what are some steps that parents can take to make sure their children's lives are filled with lively, exciting hope? Number one, joyfully and regularly emphasize that God is our creator. It is not possible to separate our hope in God from the fact that he is our creator. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. And evolution changes that to read, Nobody made us. We're accidentally here and accountable to nobody but ourselves. Now, I don't know how much you talk about creation with your children But I don't believe it can be too much. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want your children to make wise decisions, they must fear God. The fear of the Lord may be more than this, but at the very least, it is a tremendous respect for the fact that God is God. He started all of this, and he's going to come back someday and wind it all up. If your child loses Genesis 1, 2, and 3, he will soon thereafter lose the rest of the Bible and every great truth you have taught him from that Bible. He may no longer understand that male and female created he them. He will not know what marriage is and what a family is supposed to be. Well, I've heard this. We want our child to attend an accredited college And the one we've chosen teaches evolution. Then choose a different college. Seriously. Your child's future is not dependent on an accredited degree. Your child's future is dependent on him learning the truth he needs to learn so that he can wisely develop and use the gifts that God has given him. Proverbs eighteen sixteen: a man's gift, not his degrees, but his gifts make room for him and bring him before great men. So your child's gifts, wisely and adequately developed, are the key things that will open the doors for him that he needs opened in life. A pastor said this a while back. He said, my nephew, after he graduated from Michigan State University, said, I'm not sure there is a God, and if there is, I'm not sure that he cares about me. Letting a child sit in a class with a teacher who believes evolution is like asking your child to drink poison daily. It cannot truly benefit his life, nor can he simply take an antidote daily for the poison and the poison not affect him. According to Proverbs 1-7, an evolutionist teacher is a fool because he despises God's wisdom. Do you really want a fool teaching your child? And you want to pay that fool big money to do so. Evolution is the Pied Piper. And the foundation for abortion and atheism and socialism and communism and racism and every other ism that is poisoning mankind. The father of evolution was really Charles Darwin. He was a ardent racist. Have you ever looked? They don't talk much about the, the other title of his book, 
But the first title of his book was The Origin of Species, and the second title of his book was The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Now, God's command in this area is very direct. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that calls it to err from the words of knowledge. Let me paraphrase that for you. Stop listening to garbage. No creation, no God. No God, no hope. No hope, no purpose. No purpose, no reason to live. No child ever despaired of life while talking about how powerful, fantastic, and loving his God is. Every day you are talking about how God is painting beautiful pictures in his creation. Mountains and sunsets and ice storms and lakes and rivers and spring and fall. Every day you're talking about how God made the trees and plants and birds and animals and insects. Your child is not going to walk away from a God who is real to him and is also his very best friend. Number two. Keep your child focused and interested by teaching him what God wants him to learn, especially make sure that he learns wisdom. Think about this. It doesn't really matter what you or anybody else wants your child to learn. What matters is that he learns what the God who made him wants him to learn. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 teaches that we don't just need wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge. We also need the Spirit of the Lord to give us a spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, might, and a spirit of knowledge. Now, what are those things anyway? Well, knowledge is knowing things, stuff, details, options about all kinds of things. A spirit of knowledge is understanding what things the Spirit of the Lord wants me to study and learn and use. And read this with me. Everybody, would you please off the screen altogether? Parents especially need a spirit of knowledge to know what subjects God wants their children to be taught. Now watch my hands right here. Would you please? Here is, from here to hear all the knowledge there is in this entire world about everything there is to know. How much of that do you think everybody in this room put together knows? I doubt if it is even that much. And that means that it is tremendously important That you find out what God wants your child to learn. He can't learn everything. You can't learn everything. So you've got a spirit of wisdom is when the spirit of the Lord helps you to know what knowledge to seek. From whom to seek it and when and how to use that knowledge. Your children need more than knowledge of what words they can say. They need the Spirit of the Lord to give them His Spirit of wisdom to know whether to say them and when and how to say them. 
That is tremendously important. You just don't say anything that comes to mind. Queen Esther didn't just know the words to say. She also knew how and when to say them. And that's how she saved the Jews, her people, from destruction. A spirit of understanding occurs when the Holy Spirit shows you why you needed to use the wise words and wise approach that he led you to use. Counsel is when you apply knowledge, understanding, and wisdom to someone else's life decisions. And a spirit of counsel is when God's spirit empowers your spirit to make that counsel precisely what that other person needs it to be, like Daniel did when he counseled King Nebuchadnezzar. I almost feel like I need to apologize for going so fast right here. This is this is the kind of thing you need to take a long time to absorb. Whatever you teach your child, you should be clearly able to say to them, I believe the God who made you wants you to learn this. And as they get older, you should regularly encourage them to pray about what they need to learn and ask you to help them learn it. Every child needs to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. We got folks in schools who don't even know those simple things. But older children might be given a choice. Now, please don't throw any stones at me right here, all right? I'm going to say some radical things. And, and you don't have to agree with all this, okay? But just think about this, all right? I, I think we could make a huge difference in the next generation if we really think about what I'm about to share with you. Older children should be given a choice of whether they want to study trigonometry or taxidermy or trees. Maybe they're more interested in dinosaurs than they are diagramming sentences. Would it be wrong for them to study dinosaurs instead of diagramming sentences? Maybe they would rather study counseling or carpentry instead of chemistry. Maybe they're going to need biographies more than they're going to need biology. Most people need to learn principles of life from the Bible more than they need psychology. You know what? God made algebra. And it is really important stuff that lots of people should learn. But I wish that instead of studying algebra, I could have spent that time studying apologetics or art. I am simply saying, notice the things your child is interested in And help him learn those things. There is just not enough time for anybody to learn everything. Number three. We're still talking about giving your children hope. Replace all the anger in your marriage and parenting with kindness and love and joy. Ephesians 4.31 says plainly, let all. Bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Your home, and and the next verse says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted. So your home right now is either a picture of verse 31 or verse 32. If I were to ask your child, which verse is a picture of your home? What would they say? I've told many, many parents, having problems with a child, they must not begin by focusing on the child. They start by dealing with their own anger. 
Then they work on their marriage, and by then the problems with their children often just sort of disappear. Now get the order of that. It was very significant. You first get rid of all anger. You secondly build your marriage till you're crazy in love with your mate. And then number three, you enjoy parenting your children. And I say enjoy parenting your children. Now, I believe I can prove from the Bible that you need to get rid of all of your anger. But I, I may not have time to show you all the verses that deal with that, but I would simply throw this in right here. Are you sure? Some people say, well, there's righteous anger. Are you sure you have the wisdom to discern between righteous and unrighteous anger? I'm close to all my children and their mates and grandchildren. But in the late 1980s, I was a 37-year-old dad trying to parent four daughters using anger, and honestly, it almost destroyed my family. I was just sure my anger was righteous anger. It met all the qualifications I knew of for it, and I was wrong. And what you think is righteous anger is probably more unrighteous and more destructive than you dream that it is. Proverbs twenty nine twenty two: an angry man stirreth up strife. And James 3.16 says that where there is strife, there is confusion and every evil work. Notice that. The anger produces strife, which then creates confusion in children. That confusion can produce something as mild as a general dissatisfaction with life or as horrible as sexual disorientation or thoughts of suicide. Now, another way that a parent provokes a child to wrath is by being a controlling, dictatorial parent. I counseled, since I was here a couple of years ago, I counseled indirectly with a father whose 25-year-old daughter ran away with a guy that the father referred to as Tresh. The dad was a strong, conservative, Bible-believing, pistol-packing Texan. And I said to him, your daughter views you like you are a liberal democratic state governor who keeps her locked down and makes her wear a mask 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what she did by leaving with that guy was wrong, but she simply decided she had taken all she could take of living under dictatorial control and she moved out of the state of your home so she could breathe and have some freedom. Controlling parents cause their children to feel like they live in perpetual quarantine with no hope of an end to that quarantine in sight. By the way, after that girl left home, the dad saw that his anger and controlling spirit had driven his daughter away, sent her an email apologizing, asking for for forgiveness, But the last I heard, there was almost no response from that girl. If there's a dad like that here today, I would beg you to not wait too long to humble yourself, see your anger and controlling spirit as a sin. Ask for forgiveness 
and do whatever you need to do to change. Maybe you need to get the anger series and watch one a week. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 3 warns us, make sure thy friend. If you've done something that could damage your relationship with a friend, how much more important is it for you to make sure your child when you've done something that could have damaged that relationship? You remember all those young people who were asked what would make them happy at home? The second answer they gave was, if my daddy wasn't so angry. Number four, give your children hope for a good marriage by modeling such a marriage before them. Now, what is one of the main dreams almost every son or daughter out there is dreaming? They're hoping and praying that they can meet the right person, marry them, and spend their life in a truly happy marriage. Could I ask you, when your child looks at their dad and mom's marriage Does it give them hope that they can have a happy, fulfilling marriage themselves someday? Where is the main place your children learn about marriage? Their home. A Christian marriage should manifest and model the fruit of the Spirit. That begins with love. Do your children see your love for each other? I mean, really, can they see that you are truly, totally, terrifically in love with each other? Read off the screen out loud, everybody with me. Would you please all together? Children don't learn to love by being loved as much as they do by seeing love. The fruit of the Spirit is also joy. (laughs) You say, what is that? Well, it's joy. It's overflowing happiness. Do your children think of you as a happy person or like that right there? What if I ask them, is your home and marriage filled with love and joy and peace or is it a war zone? Your greatest testimony that God is at work in your life is that your children can see that God is at work in your marriage. When your child talks with his friends about marriage, does he tell them he wants a marriage like dad and mom have? Does he see you smiling at each other? Does he watch you hold each other's hands? Does he hear you apologize if you say something unkind? Does he watch you yield your rights? Does he, is your romance real? Is your passion something he envies and wants for himself or herself? Does your child get a big grin on his or her face when you properly flirt with each other? Does he or she get to say, now, (laughs) you guys are so much in love that you are embarrassing me. Do you say sweet things to each other in your children's presence that let your children know that married life is a beautiful, wonderful thing that they can look forward to? A single lady in her early 20s had been adopted from another country by her American parents. Those wealthy parents gave her everything she could want or need But about the time she fell in love and started planning marriage, her parents fell out of love and started planning a divorce. And she broke things off with her fiancé and told him 
She was just afraid to get married because she didn't want to get divorced. There is no problem between two people that cannot be worked out if they will both lay aside their pride and anger and selfishness and do whatever they need to do. Marriage was not meant by God to be 50-50. Marriage was meant by God to be both of you giving 100%. You say, but my mate's only giving 10%. So is your marriage more likely to be healed by you giving only 10% or is it more likely to be healed by you determining to give 100% no matter what? Stop following your emotions and start doing what is right. I was told a while back about two homeschooling families in the state of Texas. One had nine children, the other one had five. Both sets of parents divorced. And what did they teach those 14 children? They taught them without saying a word that there is no hope for a happy marriage. Remember all those young people who were asked what would make them unhappy at home? And the first answer they gave was, if my dad and mom just loved each other and would not fight all the time. Number five. Always keep the lines of communication open between you and your child so that some secret doesn't destroy them. Secrets, especially secret sins that you need to tell and don't tell can put them into bondage. A guy develops a secret relationship with a girl against his parents' wishes And the very fact that it is secret causes it to dangerously bind their hearts together even more than it would have. 800 teenagers were asked if they'd ever done something wrong and not told their parents and 80% raised their hands that they had done so. Secret sins block fellowship and have the power to destroy relationships. Notice these verses. If we walk in the light, no secrets. As he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. Dad and mom, is it possible that some secret has caused you to lose your child's heart and you don't even know it? If that is even a remote possibility, then you need to sit down and talk to your son or daughter soon. You have to deliberately keep the door of communication wide open with your children, especially your teenagers. If you wait till there's a problem to start communicating, then it may be too late. Some people view communication like a triangle where when your children are little, there's a lot of communication. The older they get, the less there is. But it's actually the opposite of that. When they're little, there's not much communication. But the longer they live, the more you need to communicate with them. Dad, explain to your son that virtually all men, including you, have some kind of problem with lust at some point And let him know that your door is always open and he can talk to you about anything including his eyes and thoughts and mind and that you will help each other. I encouraged one dad to go in once a week for 30 minutes, just sit on the bed and talk to his older daughter about anything and everything. Now, if you don't do that, 
or something like that, and a secret relationship develops, your child can be gone and your head will be spinning wondering how in the world it happened. One of the biggest advantages of keeping heartstrings tied between you and your children is that your child then will want to please you not only when you can see them, but also when they are in secret, which is one of the biggest goals for every parent. Dad and mom, do your children truly view you as approachable? If they view you as an angry parent, then that anger will not only cut off the communication between you and them, it will also virtually guarantee you that they will not tell you any secrets that are in their lives. They would be afraid to do so. Please, parents, talk to your children. Let them know that there is nothing they can't talk to you about. In fact, tell them this. The hammer will not come down if you'll just tell us. We will just love you and help you. A father said this, my son just graduated from a Christian school and promptly moved out with some people into really weird things and we had no idea this was coming. He had his own secret life. He had a computer in his bedroom and had made contact with these people on the internet and of course there's the, uh, the phones in our day and, and You can find anything on the phone. Hear me. Young people don't need Facebook. They need their father. They don't need video games. They need their voice to be heard. They don't need phones. They need families. They don't need TikTok and Twitter. They need to talk to their parents. And I'm not saying you have to get rid of all computer devices. I'm saying those things can never replace a relationship with dad and mom. Remember all those young people who were asked, what would make them happy at home? And the third answer they gave was this. I would be happy if my parents would spend time with me and listen to me. Number six. Number six and number seven are my favorite points in this message. Keep your child's heart by continually reminding yourself to smile and listen and praise. I'm talking here about delighting in your child. Twice in Proverbs, it talks about a father delighting in his son. May I ask you, do you light up when you look at your children? Proverbs 16, 15, in the light of the king's countenance is life. So when the one in authority lights up, He literally gives life to those under him. Better life and longer life to those under him. Smiling says, your very presence brings joy to my heart. Listening says, you're an important person to me, so I want to hear what you are thinking. And praise says, your life is significant to God and me. Three big words. Everybody read them out loud, please. Smile and listen and praise. You will not do too much of those. In fact, listen to me. If you're not a good, if you're not a good smiler, you're not as good a grand, as parent or grandparent as you could be. You say, well, it's not my natural thing to smile. I understand that. It's not mine either. 
I have sermons where I write on the pages in the sermon, smile at the people, <laughs> right? It's not natural for me. But you, you can make yourself do it and and you say, well, you'd be a hypocrite if you're making yourself smile when you don't feel like it. No, when God commands us to do something, we can do it. And when he tells us that we need to delight in our children, then we can smile at them. So what are some steps to help you not give up hope on God or life? Uh, <clears throat> joyfully and regularly emphasize that God is our creator. Keep your child focused and interested by teaching him what God wants him to learn especially wisdom. I think I want you to read the rest of these with me out loud. Would you please, everybody? Replace all the anger in your marriage and parenting with kindness and love and joy. Number four, give your children hope for a good marriage by modeling such a marriage before them. Number five, always keep the lines of communication open between you and your child so that some secret doesn't destroy them. Number six, keep your child's heart by continually reminding yourself to smile and listen and praise. And really my seventh point to me is the most interesting in this whole message. I've never heard anybody preach this before. But it is so astounding to me. Read it, would you please? Make your child feel included and important by creating a team spirit in your home. Now, what am I talking about? Let me give you a biblical foundation for this thought. In Genesis one twenty six, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Then in verse 28, God said that man was made to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Subdue means to conquer, to bring into subjection. Have dominion means to rule over, to take charge of. Man was made to be a conqueror, to get involved and succeed at doing something. And your child is either going to conquer with you on your team or he's going to leave your team and find some team somewhere that will let him do some conquering. That is where gangs come from in our inner cities. At 16 years of age, I went to work doffing large rolls of cloth off looms at Limestone Cotton Mill in Gaffney, South Carolina. It was some of the hardest work that I've ever done in my life. Every afternoon from 3 o'clock to 11 o'clock, I had to remove 60 to 70 pound rolls of cloth off 110 looms. The first day I went to work, I worked eight hours. And I only got the cloth rolls off 15 looms. I didn't know I had to leave at 11 o'clock. The job wasn't done. I kept working at 11.20. The boss came over and said, what are you doing still here? And I said, I'm sorry. I did the best I could. There's all these other rolls that have to be done. He said, no, you have to go home. The next day I came back. And it beat me again. But that day I got 25 rolls. And the day after that, I got 35 rolls. And eventually, I subdued and conquered and took dominion over those looms. And I could remove 110 rolls of cloth 
in three and a half hours and go home and they would pay me for eight hours eight hours of work. And my dad and mom bragged on me because I had conquered something. Now listen to me. If you're, how many of y'all know what I was referring to with the cotton mills and the looms? Let me see your hands. Anybody here? I thought there might be a couple of folks here. When you get in the south, a few folks know about it, but not many anymore. Now, if your children are just slave laborers cleaning the house because you're the boss, they're probably going to walk away someday. No, they need to be on the home team being praised for being such good workers and as much as possible doing things with dad and mom. Are you and your family conquering new worlds? Or are you just guarding your castle? Does your child feel like they're going somewhere in life or just perpetually idling? Hear me. You don't need your sons to mow and trim the yard so the yard looks nice so you can impress the guests who come over for dinner. Don't ever use your child to make you look good. It is hypocrisy on the part of parents to be more concerned about what other people think than they are with what is going on inside their child. One man wrote, You will get a much better response from your children when they perceive that you care more about them than you do about public perception. Your child needs to be motivated to please you as his parents because you are his parents. His motivation cannot be to just impress your friends and make them think that you are some super parent There ain't no super parents just like there ain't no super kids, all right? Remember all those young people who were asked what would make them happy at home? And the last thing some of the kids said was, I wish my parents were not such hypocrites. Your attitude needs to be totally different. You and your son get to work on the yard together so he can conquer and subdue and you can praise him for what he does, whether it's done perfectly or not. You want him to feel like he is a part of the John Doe family team and the John Doe family succeeds because your son got up to bat for his team. Everything your son does, he does for the team. Whatever you do, Don't ever demean him when he's trying. Don't ever say to him, you can't do anything right. Guess who can't wait to get away from your team? Okay, he's up to bat now. Doing whatever he does, maybe it's just shoveling manure, that's good honest work. And you're the dad and you're saying, wow, what a swing that was, son. It was amazing watching you run to first base. So what you got tagged out? I never saw anybody run like that in my life. Your determination and dedication to this team helps make us what we are. I heard somebody wrongly criticized you today, son. They just don't know you like I do. Believe in your child. Give him responsibility and trust him to do whatever he can do. Seek his input when you need to make big decisions. Son, I'm thinking about buying a truck. And you have such a sharp mind. And God shows you things he doesn't show me. I'm praying the Holy Spirit will give you a spirit of counsel 
to counsel me, talk to me, and help me figure out whether I should do this, and if so, what kind of truck to buy. It won't be long before you may be driving the truck as much or more me than me anyway. If you'll seek his counsel about a truck, he'll be more likely to seek yours about a wife. Make him feel good about himself because he conquered and you made it possible. Walk away from your team. No way. Somebody said, you can't just drive kids. You have to let them steer. One of the things I've done with my grandkids for many years is take them for rides on the trails in our woods on my Kawasaki mule. But I found out they're not always happy to just ride. Sometimes they want to help me steer. And sometimes when they get older, they want to sit in the driver's seat and drive me around. They will help me work in the yard just to get to drive the mule. Children treated as bench warmers instead of team players will not be content to stay on your team. An adult lady told me that her mother wouldn't take the time to teach her to do things. She would just do everything for her. So she said, I grew up feeling useless, useless and hopeless are words that sound a lot like each other, don't they? I've seen parents of 20-year-olds who want their children to sit on the bench and do nothing productive, and that will never work. He is in training to be the captain of his own team someday. He has to be involved and listened to as a part of the team. And if you ever look over and you have a child who's just sitting on the bench, excuse me, go get him up quick and make him feel great that he is a key player for the greatest team in the world. And let me tell you, Dad and Mom, when you are a true success, when your child can hit the ball further than you and run the bases faster than you can, you're a success when he comes up with a better strategy than you could have ever thought of, and you get to say, wow. That is a great idea. I wish I would have thought of that. And the ultimate success comes when he says, Dad, I'm thinking about starting my own team. What do you think about Susie Jones? And with joy in the heart and a tear in the eye, you say, I think that is a wonderful idea, son. I'm thinking right now about a 20-year-old, sweet, pure Christian girl whose mom was afraid for her to leave the house. She couldn't go anywhere or do anything. There was no purpose for her life, no future she could see. She had no hope. Every day, mom would go to work and leave the girl to clean the house. The girl got on the internet and met a guy. And by the time I got the call, the girl was packing and the guy was driving from 200 miles away to come and get her. And she left. If I remember correctly, I tried to reason with her, but you can't usually reason with hopelessness. Hopelessness will seek hope even if it is a false hope. And the man who came to get her was wrong. 
And she was wrong to go with him. But she thought she saw a ray of hope. She was wrong. Hundreds of youth were asked to write down three things that have changed would make them happy at home. And they wrote, number one, if my dad and mom just loved each other and wouldn't fight all the time. If my daddy wasn't so angry. I wish my parents would spend time with me and listen to me. And some of them wrote, I wish my parents were not such hypocrites. Now I have a closing thought for you and I'm done. I would suggest to any parent here, go home, hand your children a sheet of paper and ask them to write down three things they wish could be changed about their home. If you're really brave, hand them another sheet of paper and ask them to write down three things they wish you personally would change. Just whatever you do, don't argue or defend yourself with anything they write. Just say thank you for sharing that with me. God grant us a generation of children whose lives are filled with lively, exciting hope. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to receive these truths and to act on them to have the next generation who loves you and serves you with all their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.